And so what we looked at already, well, we thought about how there is no guilt in Christ Jesus. You know, Romans 8, verse 1, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you remember, I talked about a transfer and a substitution. I talked about how we've been transferred from the realm of sin, which leads to death, to the realm of uh, the spirit, which leads to life. I also talked about a substitution, that Jesus has been our substitute, that he's taken the pain and the suffering that was due to us as a consequence of the fall on himself. We no longer have to pay that price, and therefore we are seen as righteous before him. Then last week, Boz talked about being alive in Christ, and particularly about being alive in the Spirit. And I loved what he said, that actually it's not about us trying to get the Holy Spirit into us. Actually, we don't need to pursue the Spirit in that sense. Actually, the Holy Spirit is already residing us in us if we are children of God, if we're followers of Christ. God's Spirit already dwells inside us. And today we move on to thinking specifically about what it is to be a child of God. Now, hopefully this morning you'll have been given some sermon notes. Um, I did some a few weeks ago, and I had a number of people just saying they found those really helpful. So um, if you lose your place, um, you can have a look at those. Hopefully you'll have some references as well that you can follow up later if you so want to. And so this morning, just want us to firstly think about, we're on the intro page, on page left in your notes at the moment, if you're wondering where we are. Just want to think particularly about these promises, about the promises of God, because we're talking about promises, but we're just taking the assumption that, that we all know what this is about. And so just want us to have a little think about what this means. And so firstly, I just think, actually, I don't know about you, but have you ever made promises? Have you made promises to people? You may not have said to someone, I promise to do this for you. You may have said, I will do this or that for you. And all of us, I'm sure, have had promises made to us as well, maybe from a parent um, or from a sibling or maybe a son or a daughter, maybe a a friend, maybe your church leader, maybe your boss, all kinds of different people. Now, it might be that you yourself or you've either been given a promise or received a promise that hasn't been fulfilled. You know, I'm going to put my hands up and say, I know there are things I've said I would do that I haven't done. Okay, and I'm sorry if that's affected any of you. Um, uh, but the reality is we all make promises, don't we? And we don't always fulfill on those. And, and equally, we've probably had promises made to us that haven't been fulfilled. But the wonderful thing about God the Father is that he always comes good on his promises. And so we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Praise God that those promises that are made to us, they are yes in Christ, that if we are in Christ, we receive all the promises of God. But what is more, the promises that God makes have impact. You know, sometimes I might say something and try to do something, but actually in reality it falls flat on on its face. It doesn't really achieve much. But actually with God, um, all his promises, they have impact. We read these wonderful verses in Isaiah 55, which I'm sure we're familiar with, um, come down, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, so is my word that goes from my mouth, this is God speaking, it will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
God's word, when he speaks, it results in something happening. And we move on as well, thinking about God's promises. Perhaps one of his supreme promises is in the gospel, the very gospel itself, the good news. And I love when, when Paul talks about the good news in Romans because there's a sense in which, you know, good news when we think about it is perhaps reading the paper and thinking, oh yeah, we've read some good news rather than bad news. It's not just simply the relaying of information. The gospel, the good news that is in the Bible has power behind it. It impacts and makes a difference. And so we read Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. What does it say? I am not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So did you know that if you've made a commitment to following Jesus, you have a power at work in you? You may not always feel like that, but that is the reality. The, the gospel, the power behind the good news of Jesus is at work in your life, and it is making a difference in your life, but also in the lives of so many other, others that we know. And so if this is the reality, if this is the reality that one, God's promises are always yes, and he always fulfills them. Secondly, that if his promises bear fruit and make a difference. And thirdly, if God's promises have power behind them, and particularly the gospel, then don't you think we should be reading about the promises of God? Does that make sense to you? That actually, if if God's promises have a reality and a power, we want to assimilate those. And that is why we're doing this series at the moment, to really think about what are the promises of God, and how can we go deeper in these and I want to just push it a bit here and say, can I really encourage us to be people who get into God's word, who go deep in God's promises? Because actually, if we do really believe that they have power, then just coming to church on a Sunday and hearing a few of those isn't going to be enough. You know, We need much more than that. We need a, a daily uh, diet of God's truth. It doesn't always mean that we have these wow spiritual moments every time we read the scriptures, but actually having this bedrock of going into God's word and learning and deepening in our faith through it. Um, We've already talked about, haven't we, how we need to be both proactive and reactive in our approaches to the promises of God. You know, uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it talks about the renewing of our minds and how that actually happens through God's truth, through our understanding, and uh, that leads to transformation in our character, in the way we live. And so that's almost a proactive approach to reading the scriptures and and assimilating the promises of God. But also talked about the reactive, that you'll find yourselves in situations, maybe at home, at work, um, when you're doing your leisure activities, that you find yourself in a mindset of thinking, actually, do you know what? This mindset isn't aligned to the purposes of God. It's not aligned to the promises of God. And it's in those moments that we react. We need to respond to that with the promises of God. And this is what uh, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, we read, uh, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Have you had a pretension or a thought that set itself up against the values of Christ this week? I have, definitely. Sometimes I've given in to that too much, but other times I've said, no God, I'm going to stand your promises and I'm going to stand against that thought in Jesus' name and I'm going to say, God, I'm holding on to your truth because I know as I hold on to your truth that there's a reality in that, even though it may not feel like it at the time, that that makes a difference in my mind and the way that I live. And so what are the thoughts, what are the realities that we are experiencing day by day that are contrary 
to God's realities. Maybe just something to think about and thinking about, right, how can I begin to work on this? And, you know, if, if there are deeply established thoughts and patterns of doing things, they're not just going to go away with one prayer and reading one scripture. It's going to take time and effort to actually work through that by God's grace. And part of drawing near our vision theme for this year is about breaking down those barriers, isn't it? It's interesting if we read James chapter 4 and verse 8, which is our vision verse for the year, um, we've only just taken a little bit of that verse. There's a more difficult bit to come. Sorry, guys, I didn't tell you about this at the beginning. Um, but, but the first bit is draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Or as the NIV version says, come near to God and he will come near to you. But then listen to what it goes on. This is the hard work. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 8, the second part of the verse. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I'm saying you and your, because that's what the Bible says, not because I'm judging you. Um, This includes me as well. I need to wash my hands, and I need to purify my heart as well. And this is about both our actions, you know, sense of hands, of doing things, and our hearts, which are our motives and our intentions. And so God is calling us to be holy, to be set apart. And so I wonder again, are the things we need to wash our hands of, are the things that we need to purify in our hearts? But actually, in a sense, that's simply the fruit of what James then goes on to say. He says, uh, you double-minded. And uh, double-mindedness, I don't know if you've ever used the expression, you know, well, um, I'm of two minds. You know, think about I'm of two minds whether I should go on holiday to Spain or not. You know, part of me says I should go on holiday, enjoy the sun. Part of me says, well, actually, I need to be at home and do some DIY over that week. No, this isn't my thinking. I'm just using a, uh, you know, a possible line of thinking, and that's in some sense it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you're double-minded about that, unless you're really. uh, um, uh, getting your, the back of your spouse up if uh, you need to do the DIY. Anyway, let's not pursue that further. But, but, the, but the point is, um, it doesn't really matter in that situation. But what it does matter, it does mean it, it is a problem if we're double-minded in our approach to God. We can't say, well, you know, on Sunday and maybe Monday, my mind's going to be right on God. I'm going to put my hands up and worship. I'm going to follow his word, his promises. But actually, Tuesday through to Saturday, you know, well, I'm just going to put my mind on other things. I'm not going to be particularly sinful, but I'm just going to put my mind on other things. We just cannot live like that. That is not what the the, the life of a disciple of Jesus is about. Jesus wants our whole lives. He wants all of us. And it doesn't mean that we need to be holier than thou, but what it does mean is that our day-by-day walking is aligned to the principles of God. And so we are called to wash our hands and to purify our hearts. And so today, I want us to think about what it is to be children of God. What it is to be children of God. And this is such a wonderful truth. And I believe that actually, as we walk more fully in our understanding of what it is to be a son or a daughter of God, this will have a massive impact on all the rest that we've been talking about Romans 8:14 we have this wonderful verse for those who are led by the spirit are children of God we are children of God if we have the spirit living in us and as Boz said last week if we have made our commitment to following Jesus the spirit of God is in us and therefore we are children of God and we get this picture in the bible don't we of of God as our father you know Yahweh is his father and uh, also this picture of us being the children of God, we see it in Exodus 4.22 and Jeremiah 3.19. I won't go into these now, but very clearly picturing God as 
God um, saying that we are his children. And then also God as our father, Deuteronomy 32, 6, and uh, Isaiah 64, 8. Talk about 64, 8. Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. And then Paul develops this understanding that we are children of God and that God is Father. He develops this in Romans 8 particularly. And we get this wonderful picture um, across Romans 8.3 where we read, For what the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son. We get this picture that the basis for our sonship or daughtership or being children of God is on what? It's based again on the substitution of of Jesus Christ, that he's taken the place and therefore we've been transformed, transferred from the realm of sin and death to the realm of the spirit which leads to life. And so it's all based on Jesus the Son. And then we move on to uh, our passage today which we'll come to in a bit more detail but this very clear statement that we are children of God and by him we call Abba Father. And of course Abba is this picture of intimacy so we get this picture of sonship as being an intimate one. And then in Romans 8, 29, towards the end of the chapter, we get this picture. For those who foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so we get this picture that actually being children of God is completely wrapped up in the identity of who Jesus is. And our model for sonship is all wrapped up in who Jesus is. And I can't really give it justice this morning, but it's worth looking into those three verses and thinking about the progression of Paul's thoughts and where he's going. And so today, we come to um, our our passage and thinking about what it is to be children of God. And there are a few things I just want us to draw out here. Um, The first is, those who are children of God are led by the Spirit. Those who are children of God are led by the Spirit. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? In a charismatic church, I would define us as a charismatic church. We're a church who are open to the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit. We can perhaps interpret being led by the Spirit of being, yeah, man, I'm getting filled with the Spirit, and yeah, yeah, I've got the gift. I've got the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm led by the Spirit. But this isn't what Paul means here, okay? All that's good. I'm not taking the mick out of that stuff. I love prophecy, tongues, all that stuff. But, but this isn't what Paul is talking about, okay? He's talking about a life that is determined by the Holy Spirit, okay? He's, saying, he's talking about deep stuff here, not just surface things. He's talking about deep stuff that our lives are determined by the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you feel that your life is determined by the Spirit, or sometimes you feel like you're getting pushed from one thing to another. Well, the reality is probably for all of us, there are times where we feel like we've got great focus, we've got great uh, purpose here, that's our feeling. But other times we feel, well, actually, do you know what? I feel like I'm over here, then I'm suddenly over here, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. But however we feel, the reality is that if the Spirit of God is dwelling in us and we're children of God, he determines our steps. There's a, a wonderful word in the Old Testament for the Spirit. It's ruach. And I say that with, uh, with emphasis because it's just such a wonderful word. It's just one of those words you just really want to say, ruach. You know, this sense of energy and excitement. And it's about the breath of God, that God's breath, he breathes out and life appears. And God's life is in us. And in the same way, God determines our life. He inspires us and leads us on. So that's the first thing, that if we're children of God, we are led by the Spirit. The second thing is that if we're children of God, which I believe 
We are here if we have committed our lives to following Jesus. No question on that if we have made that commitment. Secondly, we no longer live in fear. We no longer live in fear. That uh, song we were singing earlier, you know, we are no longer slaves. What a wonderful lyric to be singing. And Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. We are no longer slaves. Now, for many of us here today, we won't really get to grips in the same way that first century Christians would have got to grips with this, where slavery was a very uh, real reality for many, even in the church. And, but this idea that we are under someone else's control, you know, this, is, this is the reality that we have been set free. And uh, what is Paul talking about? Well, he's not explicit in this, but it's likely he's talking either about the law or sin, that we've been set free from the power of law and sin. Now, all of us still sin. If you don't sin, come and talk to me afterwards. But, but, but all of us have been set free from sin and death, but still we um, can uh, be sinful. But the reality is that our sin no longer uh, prevents us from having a relationship with God. And of course, it's good day by day to confess our sins to God and seek repentance and seek to live a different way. But our identity has been changed as a consequence of that change of realm that we have experienced. And because of that, we no longer have to experience fear. Okay, No longer live in fear. Do you remember back to our first week, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you remember what I said about condemnation? It is with damnation, is the literal there, judgment. But actually in Jesus, we are convicted. We are in victory, or we are with victory. And so as Paul talks about this, we're invited into this reality where we no longer have to fear. We no longer have to fear sin and death. But also, I don't know if you ever think about it, I do think about this sometimes, that when I die, one day I'm going to be stood before God my maker. How does that make you feel? You know, what do you think about that? Well, sometimes I think, oh my goodness, God is so powerful and so awesome. You know, what's he going to look like? What's, what's he going to say to me? What's he going to ask me? You know, I, I sometimes think, well, you know, Max, he's going to say about that situation. You know, Josh, you didn't do a very good job. But actually, that's not the reality of God. That's not the picture we get. It's not condemnation. We are released from that. As we approach our Heavenly Father, he receives us with love and affirmation. And so some of that is colored by our own picture of the Father, uh, by Father God. But God wants to receive us with love and joy. John, 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What a wonderful statement. Perfect love drives out fear. And so today we do not have to fear. We can receive the love of the Father, God's grace over us. So led by the Spirit, no longer live in fear. Thirdly, those who are children of God are adopted into sonship. Romans 8.15b says this, But you received the Spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are children of God.
Some commentators, as Boz was saying last week, say that they think Romans 8 is almost the, one of the uh, pivotal verses in the New Testament scriptures. Um, they, they say it, you know, it comes across as one of the best. I'm always a little hesitant at saying that because I think it's all God's word and we have to value it all. But there is something that just so resonates in Romans 8 and makes it so powerful. Um, but then they go on to say that actually this verse, uh, Romans 8.15, is perhaps one of the greatest verses in Romans 8 because it so captures something of the heartbeat of God that he loves us and he's for us and he invites us into this amazing uh, relationship. And interestingly, uh, in the Bibles you've got, uh, the NIV uh, version, um, there's a word uh, that we could um, add into this translation, which is in fact done in the NIV version that was published in 2011, which isn't our, uh, the Bibles we have in church, it's a newer version. And uh, you'll notice that it says that we are, uh, in, in the NIV version we've got in our uh, church Bibles, that we are uh, adopted into uh, uh, sorry, that, so we're invited into sonship. It says, but you received the spirit of sonship. But in the other version, it says, um, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And this wonderful word, adoption, is included in this verse. And of course, we have people here at St. James who've adopted children. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? When you hear about people adopting children, you've chosen to take on someone, to bring them up as your child. And this is the picture that we've got here. This is the biblical imagery of what God has done for us. And uh, just to unpack what adoption meant here, because it's, uh, it's really significant that we understand this in the Roman context and also the Jewish context. So firstly, in the Roman context, um, the word refers to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir. Okay, So it was primogenitor, uh, and uh, there was inequality between men and women, so we'd, we're not validating that, but just acknowledging that reality in context. Praise God today that there is more equality, still a way to go um, on that. But uh, that's the reality in this context. So when it was referring to adoption in Roman culture, it was primarily the male heir. But the principle that Paul is drawing out, not that it was male or female, that's not what he's trying to distinguish here. The, point, the important thing he's trying to say is that in this context, the male heir would receive all of the blessings of the father all the blessings and and that would be exactly the same for an adopted child as for a natural child that is the reality that God draws us into that as we are adopted by God we receive all the blessings of the father and uh, just to make it really clear that Paul uh, put Paul is both for men and women just in case we're worried um, Galatians 3:28 says this there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the statement Paul is making there is that we are all equal before God. We're all loved by him. And then, of course, the second understanding of adoption is uh, our understanding from the Bible itself. And we think about Ephesians, this kind of heritage of adoption that we see in the Old Testament. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. In his pleasure and will, he has adopted you. He looks at you and in pleasure and in, in his determination, he has adopted each one of us. And then perhaps we come on to one of the greatest statements in the New Testament, which is this, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
I don't know about you, but whenever I read that, there's just something in my spirit that just gets really excited. I don't know if you find that, if you've read that passage, but it's just something, wow, that's just so amazing. There's something about the word Abba. And such is the importance of Abba. We see it in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, what does he say? First of all, our Father. And literally that means our Daddy. Our Daddy in heaven. We never say that, do we? We don't corporately say our daddy, but that, that prayer was prayed corporately and, and was a model for prayer as we're learning in the prayer course at the moment. But then also we think about this understanding of, of uh, Abba, that in Mark's gospel there's several places where, when Mark translates the, uh, the Greek or translates Jesus' words into the Greek because that's what the language of the New Testament. When he talks about uh, Jesus talking to his father, the really interesting thing is he does not translate the word Abba. Okay, so when he's translating Jesus' words from the Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke into, uh, into the, the Greek, he does not translate that word. He leaves it as Abba. What's the significance of this? Well, Mark, Mark is saying here that the name of the Father is sacred. And the word that Jesus used is sacred, not because we need to sort of put it up there and think we mustn't use it, but because it's so intimate, because it's so powerful what Mark is wanting to convey to us is that, you know, Jesus spoke to his father and he said, Abba. And that word is given to us as well, this word daddy, this sense of intimacy. And there's no way I can convey with the full meaning of what he's saying here, but I'm trying to go some way to doing this. But this sense of emotion, and I don't know if you know the experience of when, if you've, if you've got a child or a grandchild, when your child or grandchild says to you, daddy, or says to you, granddad or grandma, or mummy. It's a wonderful thing. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Do you know the, the heart impact when you, when, you, when you hear that? It kind of melts you, doesn't it? You know, sometimes I'm sat and, you know, we, we know the difference of, because, Daddy, give me this, or do that. But, but the difference when your child comes up to you and says, Daddy, comes and sits by you, comes and sits on your lap, you have a cuddle, there's that sense of intimacy. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate here. And the really interesting thing is, it then goes on to talk in verse um, 16 about the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Directly after this talking about Abba Father, we get this sense of the Spirit of God himself talking uh, with our spirit. And so there's a sense in which we cry Abba by the Spirit of God which is in you. And so again, have you got the Spirit of God in you? Yes, you have because you are children of God. And that spirit enables us to cry, Abba, Father. What a wonderful picture of our closeness to God. And then fourthly and finally, we are heirs, okay? Heirs of God. If we are children of God, we are heirs of God. Romans eight seventeen says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And of course, this ties back to our understanding of a Roman understanding of what it is to be adopted. And if we are adopted, then we are heirs. We have a, an inheritance to look forward to one day. And we think in the Old Testament, inheritance, who, who inherited this amazing promise from God in the Old Testament? Who was told you're going to be the father of many nations? It was Abraham. He was given this amazing inheritance, but that inheritance was primarily about land, okay? 
Now, land is a great inheritance. Property is a great inheritance. But there is a greater inheritance than this. And in later Judaism, inheritance moved from just being about the land to being about eternal life. That the inheritance that we have in God is about eternal life. And we haven't received that yet, but one day we believe that when we die, that we will go to be with God, that we'll get this amazing inheritance in God that will be with him forever. You'll get to hang out with each other. You'll get to hang out with people you think, I wish I'd spend more time with that person. For those of us who are in Christ, we have that wonderful inheritance to look forward to. And so this morning, my question to us is, do we know, it is a reality already, but do we know these things in our hearts? Are we growing in our understanding of these? Do we know that our lives are led by the Spirit, that they are determined by him? Do we know that we no longer need to live in fear if we struggle with anxiety, if there are things that we fear? I'm sure that's the case for all of us. We need to bring those before Jesus because he wants to receive those. He no longer wants us to be slaves to fear. We have been adopted into sonship and daughterhood. We are given this wonderful promise that he loves us. And also we are heirs. We are heirs with Christ. We have been given so much. One preacher reflects back over his life. And as a boy growing up in the city, it was somewhat dangerous for me to walk to school all by myself. So my mother paid Harriet a neighborhood girl a few years older than I, to be responsible for getting me to and from school each day. Harriet was paid five pence a day for this service. As I grew older, I became very conscious of what I believe was an enormous amount of money going into Harriet's hands, five pence every day. So I went to my mother and I told her that there was no need for her to pay Harriet any longer, that she should give me the money each day and I would walk by myself to school. I assured her that I could do it with no problem at all. I kept on begging and begging until my mother gave in and said, okay, if you're very careful, I'll give you the five pence a day, and you can put the money in the bank and save it to buy Christmas presents for your sisters. That seemed like a good idea. So from that day on, I walked myself to school, collected and did not allow the family wealth to leave the household. Years later, when my mother had passed on, I was at my family get-together with my sisters and reminded them of my independent spirit, even when I was a child. I reminded them of how I walked myself to school and how I needed no one's help to get there and back each day and how that translated into good presents for them at Christmas time. My sisters laughed at me, and one of them said, did you think that you went to school alone and came home alone? Every day when you left the house, mum followed you. And when you came out of school at the end of the day, she was there. She always made sure you didn't notice her. But she watched over your coming and your going just to make sure that you were safe and no one hurt you. Didn't ever occur to you that there was something strange about the fact that when you knocked on the door, she didn't answer right away, and that it always took a minute or so before she opened the door of the house to let you in. That's because she would follow you home, then sneak in the back door. 
when she opened the door, when she opened the front door and let you in, you were always left with the impression that you had been on your own, when in reality, she had been watching over you all the time. And it's the same with God. God is watching over us, not with a condemning finger, but with the reality that he loves us. He is for us, and he welcomes us. And this morning, um, I just believe that God wants to give us a fresh revelation of his love for us. All of us need to be reminded of the Father heart of God, that he is for us, not against us. And so I'm going to invite us to stand up in a moment. I just want us to allow the Spirit of God to come. As we've been talking about, it's the Spirit of God that enables us to cry, Abba, Father. And so in a moment, I want to invite the Holy Spirit to come just to give us a fresh revelation of the reality that we already stand in. Do you know what? Many things in the Christian life is not about attaining something, but becoming more aware of the reality that we're already in. So let's stand together, shall we? Let's just, um, let's just be still before him for a moment and let's offer him all that we are as his children. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts to fill us anew, to enable us to say or to cry, Abba, Father. If for whatever reason, maybe your hearts have grown hard to that reality of the intimacy that God wants us to experience and just encourage you just to allow the Spirit to touch you now, just to minister to your heart, just to touch you anew in that reality that the Father loves us. We're only ever one prayer away from God. He invites us to draw near. And uh, maybe the hardships of life or some really difficult circumstances or maybe just distraction have uh, meant that that sense of the love of the Father has grown cold. Or maybe for some of us, actually, we are, we do sense that love, but we just need a rekindling. You know, a bit like when a fire dies down a bit, it just needs a little bit more breath to reignite it and God just wants to minister to our hearts now let's just be still before him I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come now Holy Spirit we pray come come and breathe your life in us come and renew us with a renewed sense of your love for us that we are no longer slaves but we are children of God adopted into your family come Holy Spirit we pray now Breathe your ruach, breathe your life. If you um, if you're someone who uh, speaks in tongues, just sense the Holy Spirit saying you may just want to um, speak in tongues under your breath. And encourage you to do it under your breath, just so it's not distracting those around. Just the, the gift of tongues is a wonderful gift to help us to connect with him. If you don't have that, don't worry. Just continue to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart. 
again. He just wants you to, as that verse says, the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. His Spirit connects with our spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to activate your spirit so that you can cry, Abba, Father. And again, you may just want to say that under your breath, Abba, or use Daddy, just to express that sense of intimacy and love that God has for us and we have for him. For some of us, the lies of the enemy have uh, distorted our picture of the Father as well. And uh, just believe that God wants to break that down as well, that maybe um, we've not had a good earthly father or maybe there's certain attributes that have really made it hard for us to receive the father love of God. And again, um, just want to encourage you just to lay that before God this morning. And that can be really hard and it's not something we can necessarily process in one ministry time. But just want to encourage you just to lay that before God now and just say, God, you know, be honest with him. Just say, God, my, my picture of you has been distorted. And, uh, and just, just articulate to God. You may even find it, hard, uh, find it helpful to articulate the things that you feel have been distorted. But also, I believe that God wants to minister to your heart this morning. That he wants to give you a fresh sense and picture of what the Father heart of God is. That no matter how good our earthly fathers are, God is so much better. He loves us. We're no longer slaves. Our lives are determined by him. His perfect love drives out any fear. We have an inheritance, a hope to look forward to. No matter how dark the days are, we have hope that one day we'll have everything in him. Father, I just, I just cry out to you now. Just pray. Pour out your blessing. Pour out your spirit. Abba, Father, come. Bring a fresh revelation, I pray, of your love for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to share a picture as well, actually, that I had before the service and just illustrates the the love of God in the midst of the kind of the, the authority as well because some of us struggle with God because of his authority. Um, and, I, and, and I had a picture of, of God sat on the throne and uh, perhaps when we see him sat on the throne, we think firstly of judge or king, you know, certainly elevated and perhaps almost inaccessible. But I just sense God saying, actually, no, I'm breaking that down. And as I looked, on his lap were children, and then there were children playing around. And God was saying, you know, I am king. I am more powerful, but actually, I love you. I love you, my children. And, and don't feel like you're treading in the wrong place. You know, you can sit on my lap. You can mess around around the throne. That doesn't matter because I love you. And so God just wants to pour out that revelation to us as well. If we feel like with people who... Um, find God inaccessible because of his authority 
that he says, no, come, I'm your father. You have permission to come and draw near.